So my ten-year-old told me just the other day that they had watched a Schoolhouse Rock cartoon in class about the preamble to the U.S. Constitution. Do you remember that?、Uh, maybe some of you remember Schoolhouse Rock from the eighties.、Um, now he also mentioned that they had watched it on a streaming service. Which I thought was kind of cool, right? And so that led me to explaining to him that I didn't watch Schoolhouse Rock on a streaming service. I watched it on Saturday morning when I watched my Saturday morning cartoons, and then I had to explain Saturday morning cartoons to him, right? <laughs> that kids were home from school on Saturday mornings and not at church like on Sunday mornings, and so all the networks showed fun cartoons all morning. And because we didn't have streaming, and we didn't have YouTube, and we didn't even have DVRs, right? That's how we got our entertainment. All of that to say that the world has changed a lot, hasn't it? Right? Whoever thought that Saturday morning cartoons would one day be a thing of the past? I sure didn't. And that extreme change, right? Change that is still unfolding, has affected not just you know TV networks and. And cartoon animation studios, but it's affected churches too. Attending church, for instance,、uh, today is the exception, not the rule. And so the question is: As churches, what should we do? Right? How should we lead? How do we need to adapt? And what do we even aim for in our churches in a time when we simply don't know what kind of ministry to do that actually meets the needs of today's world, as opposed to yesterday's world? Now I don't have a guest in this episode, but this is what I want to talk about with you. What kinds of steps should we take, and what kinds of goals should we set? How do we get from here, right, where we feel kind of like we're floundering? We don't really know what to do or how to do it. How to be the church that the world needs us to be today? How do we get from here to there, right, to the work and ministry that God has called us to do? I'm Marcus Watson, and this is episode 138 of Spiritual Life and Leadership. I want to start with a question, and that question is: Have you ever heard the acronym BHAG? B H A G. It stands for Big, hairy, audacious goal. Right, a big, hairy, audacious goal.、Uh, this is an acronym that was first coined by Jim Collins in his book "Built to Last: Successful Habits of Visionary Companies." Great book. Interesting acronym, <laughs> right? Now, sometimes you need big, hairy, audacious goals.、Uh, sometimes you need to set a goal that is so big that you and your people are so inspired that you can't help but pour all of your energy into accomplishing that goal.、Uh, and sometimes they work, right? They work.、Uh, sometimes they really work when you're setting your sights on something that's never been done before. I, I think about when John F. Kennedy. Set the big, hairy, audacious goal of putting a man on the moon. Right, that had never been done before, and and it inspired a nation. But that doesn't always work.、Uh, BHAGs tend to work best when there is kind of a general stability in the market or the society or the culture. Right, the, and they work best when when the challenge is a technical challenge. Right, the kind of challenge that has been addressed before. Now. Thinking about putting a man on the moon—that was certainly a new challenge. But the truth is, the skills to do it 
largely involved skills that already existed. They didn't, they didn't necessarily have to learn a, a lot of new skills. They just had to implement and improve the skills that they already had. Uh, but BHAGs don't necessarily always work when it's an adaptive challenge, right? When it's the kind of challenge that, that no one has ever encountered before. Uh, when it's a challenge for which there are no experts, like a pandemic, for instance, right? <laughs> when COVID started, there were no experts. There was no one who could say, well, here's the appropriate big, hairy, audacious goal, the big, uh, the, the appropriate BHAG that we need to set in order to get through this pandemic and bring an end to this pandemic. Couldn't happen. There were no experts. It was an adaptive challenge, right? Now, churches love to set big, hairy, audacious goals. Uh, we like to say things like, hey, we, we're going we're gonna to double our attendance in the next two years. We're going to grow our youth ministry by you know, whatever percentage, 30% in the next 12 months. Uh, we're going to start three new local ministries for our community or three overseas missions uh, for our, you know, that our church is going to do. And these are inspiring, right? They're great, and there's not, nothing actually wrong with them. But the question is, what if they fail, right? What if we don't hit that target? What if we put all of our resources and energy into this BHAG, and it turns out to be not the thing that we or our neighborhood or the world needs, right? Um, the challenge for us is that we live in a time of incredible change, huge change, right? A change without <laughs> Saturday morning cartoons, a world without Saturday morning cartoons, right? The world is not like it used to be. Churches are declining, right? And you just can't count on the results the way you once could. And so that's why I love this quote. This is a quote from uh, The Missional Leader by Alan Roxburgh. Uh, this book came out, gosh, over 15 years ago. I used to carry it around in my briefcase, and I would joke that it was my other testament of Jesus Christ. Just a joke. Just a joke, okay? Get off my back. <laughs> just kidding. Um, but I love this book because it was so helpful, and I would literally use it as a, as a reference book uh, for uh, you know, the first couple years that I was at one of my former churches. But here's the quote that I, that I think really kind of captures what is needed in these times and that is easily applied to our churches. Here's what Ellen Roxburgh says. Small steps and short-term wins are the best approach. And he's talking in the context of you know, leading through adaptive uh, change, uh, discontinuous change, which we'll talk about in a second. Small steps and short-term wins are the best approach rather than big programs or large-scale planning, right? Small steps and short-term wins are the best approach rather than big programs or large-scale planning. All right, so what does that mean? Well, one of the things that's helpful to understand is that we are living in a time of discontinuous change, right? In other words, the kinds of change that we are experiencing today in, in these recent years and probably in the, you know, years to come, the kinds of change that we're experiencing are unlike the kinds of change that we've seen in the past. Now, continuous change is the kind of change that's expected, right? For instance, a person growing from infancy to adulthood, uh, lots of change, but none of it is, it is unexpected, right? We know what it looks like for a child, for a person, a human being to go from infant to adult. And if something doesn't go the way we expect it to, we know that something's wrong, right? 
Lots of change, but it's expected. It's continuous. Another example would be a car slowly wearing down and needing repairs, right? No one is surprised that a car needs to be maintained in order to run well. No one is surprised when a car eventually needs some repairs or even needs to be retired, right? That's continuous change. Discontinuous change is unexpected change, right? Like a pandemic, as we already mentioned, right? No one know, knew what to do when this pandemic started. A lot of people with various kinds of expertise said, well, maybe this or maybe this, or we need to try this, or let's all do it. While we're figuring it out, let's do this, right? But it was discontinuous change. Another example would be the shift that we are experiencing from a highly churched culture to a barely churched culture. I read an article recently that said that in the 1950s, 90% of Americans identified as Christian. Uh, by 2020, that number had dropped to 64%, and this study said that by the year 2070, a minority of Americans will identify as Christians, right? This is discontinuous change, not just because it's surprising, and maybe it's not surprising anymore, but but it's discontinuous because we've never seen this before, at least not here in the United States, right? We don't know what it's like to be citizens of the U.S. or people living in the U.S. and to, to a U.S. in which Christianity is a minority. That's new. That's different, Right? And so in times of discontinuous change, when we don't really know what the future holds, we don't know what it will look like when Christians are in the minority, when it's like that, BHAGs aren't particularly effective, right? You just, you can't set a big, hairy, audacious goal because we don't know what that will be like and what the world will need. And so with this quote, uh, Roxburgh is talking about how to lead your church in times of discontinuous change, right? During times of discontinuous change, we need to take small steps. We need short-term wins, right? Big programs and large-scale planning run the risk of wasting our resources, our time, and our energy, right? So what does this look like? How do you do that? How do you lean into small steps and short-term wins? Well, one thing that's important is don't put all your stock in a big strategic plan, at least not right away. There is a time for a big strategic plan, but not in a time of discontinuous change, and at least not right away. I think too often we hire a consultant who's going to help us come up with our one-year, five-year, and ten-year plans, right? The problem is that in a time of discontinuous change, we have no idea what the next year holds, right? Much less the next five or ten years. When we were in the middle of the, the COVID pandemic, it was impossible to set long-term goals because no one had any idea what the next six months held, right? And so we need to start small, right? And we need to really just kind of start by trying stuff out, by conducting experiments, conducting ministry experiments. Let me give you a few examples. These are from... Uh, churches that I have, uh, you know, known about, uh, experienced or known um, in the past. And so, for instance, maybe you start a community garden, but rather than making a, it a big, hairy, audacious goal of the greatest community garden in, you know, in the county, <laughs> you know, start smaller. Don't use half of your open space, right? Start with a small corner of your property. And then if you see that it meets a need, and maybe create some opportunities to care for people in your community and maybe even in your congregation, right? Then you can make decisions about expanding, right? Small steps, short-term wins. Uh, another 
example. If you're in a college town, maybe you want to connect with college students. But maybe don't start by starting a full-fledged college ministry and hiring a college ministry director right off the bat. Maybe start by setting up a free hot dogs and water stand right near the campus on Friday nights so that you can, you know, um, help the kids <laughs> stay sober, get sober. Um, and it's a way to connect with the students in that college, right, in, in, in your town. And then later, after you've gotten a sense of students' needs and hopes and concerns and maybe built some relationships, then you can make decisions about a full-fledged college ministry. Maybe then you start that ministry, or maybe you decide to do something different. Maybe you decide to partner with one of the ministries that's already on the campus, right? But that decision comes from a place of having learned something because you've taken small steps and you've had some short-term wins. One other example might be uh, that maybe your congregation really cares about kids' education in your neighborhood. Um, and if so, you know, maybe don't start by you know, starting a brand new tutoring program at your church, maybe start by volunteering in a tutoring program that already exists in your neighborhood, right? And then once you've kind of discovered if that's something that your church is wired for, if they've been, if they're excited about it and passionate about it and love it, right? And, and if it's really meeting the needs and if it's a good fit, um, maybe then you can start something in your church. Maybe then you start your own pr- tutoring program, or maybe not. Maybe you lean into continuing to volunteer with this program that's already in, in existence. But, but you've learned something, right? And so I think that's what we need to do. We need to start by taking small steps and giving ourselves the opportunity to have some short-term wins, right? And these small steps and short-term wins can be incredibly valuable, Incredibly valuable. Now, here's the interesting part. Missteps and small losses can also be incredibly valuable. Uh, As long as we recognize that we are still learning something from those missteps and losses. I think that we need to be okay with missteps and losses when things don't go exactly the way we were hoping they would go. Now, that's totally counterintuitive, right? When things go wrong, our instinct is to figure out what went wrong, why didn't this work, and better yet, who can we blame? Maybe not better yet, but sometimes that's what we want to do, right? We want to blame someone or blame something at least. We want to point the finger at whatever caused the failure. Uh, But maybe, maybe the misstep or the small loss, maybe that's exactly what we need in order to get clarity, right? And, And help us figure out, okay, where do we actually need to go? If this didn't work, what do we need to do or what do we need to tweak or how do we need to adapt, right? Uh, I'll give you some sort of simple examples. I've preached some bad sermons in my life, right, uh, as have most of us who who are preachers. Um, but I needed to preach those bad sermons because they actually helped me become a better preacher, right? There have been times <laughs> when after a sermon or after some feedback, I thought to myself, yeah, maybe I won't do that again, right? Maybe I'll find a different way of saying it or or take into account a little bit more who's in the congregation and how saying it this way will affect those people. And yeah, I mean, it could trigger people in the congregation depending on how we say things. Anyway, these are the kinds of things that we learn, right, when we fail. Uh, I've also at times hired people, you know, who are less than ideal, who didn't quite fit, who weren't quite the right person for that position or for this congregation. But you know what? It helped me. 
It helped me get some clarity on what really matters when we bring someone on board, you know, to do ministry, to become a team member in, in our church. Uh, here's a silly example. Uh, I used to be a little bit of a gamer when I was younger, and I'll explain why I say a little bit. <laughs> but one of the games that my friends and I used to play, and I'm talking about like when I was in my 20s and a little bit into my 30s, um, but we used to play a real-time strategy game called StarCraft. It was a computer game. And it's one of those games where you have to build up an army and then you go out and you attack the other players. And super fun, right? I really loved it. Um, there are all kinds of strategies when you play a game like this. You know, do you want to focus on ground forces and then rush the other players as early as possible? Do you want to focus on building an air attack, you know, uh, which takes longer but is a, a little bit more, um, uh, a little bit stronger? Or do you want to nibble your opponent to death with little attacks or or build a huge army and then attack, right? And these are very basic kind of ways of thinking about the strategies in a game like this. Now, here's the thing. Of all the friends that I would play this game with, I was always the worst, always. <laughs> and I usually lost if it was just me on my own team. But if we were playing teams, then, you know, sometimes I would win because I was on the winning team. Now, here's the thing. I did get better over time right? Because every time I lost, I learned something. I learned the strengths and weaknesses of my strategies. Uh, I learned when to attack other players with my little army or when not to attack. I learned when to anticipate an attack. I learned how to, you know, kind of scout the map and uh, figure out what's going on on the other bases, you know. I learned how to build defenses for certain attacks. I know, I sound like a total nerd. I know, I'm sorry, Guilty as charged. <laughs> right? But this, this learning, this is the value, right? What we learn, this is the value not only of small steps and small wins, but also of missteps and small losses, whether it's in a computer game or in our ministry, right? Now, the most important thing in all of this then, right, is the ability to learn. Right? In times of discontinuous change, right? times like we are living in right now, we need to be constantly learning. Right? And that happens through wins and through losses. It happens through successes and through failures. Right? And so now the question then is, okay, well, what kinds of things are we learning? As churches, in any case, what, what kinds of things do we need to learn? What can we learn through these wins and these losses? Well, I think one of the things that we can learn is we can learn about our neighbors, right? Who are our neighbors and who aren't they, right? Who are they actually, not who do we imagine them to be? Uh, we can learn what matters to our neighbors and what doesn't matter to our neighbors. We can learn about what they're anxious about or what brings them joy, what hopes they have, what fears they have. Right? We can learn about our neighbors. We can also learn about ourselves. Uh, what are we capable of? You know, What are we passionate about? Uh, what are we good at? Uh, what gives us joy? What energizes us? What doesn't energize us? That's important to know. What are we not good at? That's important to know, all right? And that gives us clarity then about what we're called to, right? So we learn about our neighbors, we learn about ourselves, and then I think we also learn about God through these small steps and small missteps and small wins and small losses. We learn about what God is up to in our neighborhood, right? And we discover the, the unique way 
uh, that God is bringing God's mission of shalom to life in our local context, and by extension, then how we can join God in what God is already doing, right? We learn about our neighbors, we learn about ourselves, we learn about God and what God is up to in our neighborhood. Now, it's not that there's no place for big programs or large-scale planning. Uh, I think it's just that too often we jump to wanting something big and impressive right away, right? Um, When maybe what God is calling us is to do something small but meaningful, right? And maybe later God will call us to do something quote, big, you know, or maybe God won't. Maybe God will call us to lean further into the small, barely noticeable thing that we're doing, right? But maybe that small, barely noticeable thing, maybe that's what our neighbors need. And maybe that's the thing that our our church is gifted for and called to do, right? Maybe that's the thing um, that will seem like a failure by society's standards, but it will actually be a success in God's eyes, right? Because maybe that's the thing that God will use to bring just a little bit more healing and wholeness into the world, right? Small steps, small wins, and missteps and small losses, right? Now, if you want to learn more about doing these small but meaningful experiments, in a sense, that's what we've been talking about, experiments, right? About how to achieve, how to take small steps and achieve small wins and how to, you know, get through missteps and small losses. Uh, I want to extend two invitations to you, if that's something that you're interested in. First is I want to invite you to download my free course, Leading Your Church Through Change. And I teach a process there called Action Reflection which is just a a great process for discerning small but meaningful experiments, small steps in other words, that can lead to good ministry, right? Whether those small steps or experiments succeed or not, right? So anyway, uh, I would invite you to check that out. You can get it at marcuswatson.com slash lead change. And that's Marcus with a K, M-A-R-K-U-S, watson.com slash lead change. Here's the other invitation I want to extend to you. Uh, if you'd like a deeper dive into, um, into learning this, you know, how to take those small steps and really begin to lead great change in your church, good change, you know, in your church, I want to invite you to be part of the Church Leadership Institute's next Adaptive Church Leadership Cohort. Um, now, if you're listening to this in the fall of 2022, the next cohort begins in January 2023, and so this is a great time to go to the website and, and get registered, or at least begin finding out if this is something that you're interested in doing that would be helpful for you. Um, now, if you are listening in the future, there will be another cohort beginning soon, right? <laughs> so just kind of go to the website, check it out, see when the next one starts, and, uh, and you can uh, apply for that. If you are interested, here's where to go to find out more about the Adaptive Church Leadership inst- uh, uh, a Cohort. Go to dupree.org slash church slash cohort. That's D-E-P-R-E-E dot org slash church slash cohort. All right. So small steps, short-term wins, right? Missteps, small losses. Here's that quote again from Alan Roxburgh, which I think is so um, valuable. He said, small steps and short-term wins are the best approach, you know, uh, implied in times of discontinuous change uh, and adaptive challenge, rather than, he says, than big programs or large-scale planning, right? And I would add, as we've been saying, that we also 
need to value not only the small steps and wins, but also the small missteps and small losses, right? That's how we learn. That's how we grow. That's how we more and more find our place in the mission of God and live into the mission of God. That's how we more and more become the people and the churches that we were created to be. Well, thanks so much for being here, and I will see you next time here on Spiritual Life and Leadership. Thank you.